Good morning. Reading the word comes from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. I just invite you to either follow me in your bulletin or your Bibles. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for God, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took them, took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men in white robes stood by them and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. This is the reading of his word. It is absolutely true, and it's given to us in love. Well, good morning. I can't think of a better way to start the new year than worshiping here with you guys. Uh, Last year, we focused as an emphasis for the church on growing in our intimacy with God. And in 2023, we're going to shift our focus to cultivating shalom in the church, in our city, and in the world. And now as you're looking at me, you're thinking, what does shalom mean? If you've been attentive over the last three or four weeks, you've heard Harrison and I kind of weave it into our sermons in an effort to try to familiarize you with shalom. Shalom in Hebrew literally means peace and wholeness. And the best way to think about shalom is is God restoring things, all things, as they were meant to be. If you go back to Genesis 1 and 2, God created the world, and he created man and the animals, and they all lived in perfect peace and unity with one another. And then what happened? Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God, sin entered the world, and then then things just broke. The earth broke, 
And God wasn't surprised by the brokenness of the world. Because before creation, God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they had planned this great rescue of the world. And central to that plan was Jesus Christ. And what does God do? God sent Jesus into the world. He lived a perfect life. He died a death he did not deserve to die. And then God raised him from the dead. And now he is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And he is building, cultivating shalom. We can be restored. We can have wholeness in our relationship with Jesus. He's restoring the world around us. He's not going to destroy the earth. He's restoring it. He's bringing and cultivating shalom. Now Luke, he writes about Jesus' work in the Gospels. And then he continues to write about Jesus' work in the book of Acts, which we're going to be looking at from January all the way through the summer. Now, Luke begins in Acts 1.1, and he says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do. He's basically saying, I wrote the gospel of Luke, and I talked about what Jesus had began to do. And now in Acts, what is, Jesus gonna, what is Luke going to write about? He's going to write about what Jesus is continuing to do. Jesus' rescue plan continues with him now in the heavenlies as a commander-in-chief, calling his church to witness to him to the end of the earth. We're called to witness to the unseen realm of the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders that testify that Jesus rules the world on earth as it is in the heavens, and to call men, women, and children to change their old ways of behavior internally and externally and bow to the kingship of Christ. And so this morning, we're looking at the first 14 verses in Acts chapter 1. And the first thing that we see, the first theme, is that Jesus reigns. And then the second thing that I want us to discuss this morning is that we are witnesses to his reign. Let me pray for us. Father, we're grateful for a new year. And Lord, as we come here this morning, and we open your holy word. I echo Kathy's prayer that you would take away distractions. Uh, what we're going to be doing this afternoon or this evening. What we did last night. And Lord, help us. Holy Spirit, come. Speak to us through this word. Teach us this morning. And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. I want to encourage you to open your, your Bible app or your Bibles. And the first thing that we see in the book of Acts is that Jesus reigns. After Jesus' death and resurrection, Luke says that Jesus, he appeared to his disciples for 40 days. And during this time, verse 3 says, he presented himself alive to them, speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, 
Luke is choosing his words very carefully. He wants to make sure that his readers understand that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. He is alive. And Luke also wants to under, them to understand that during those 40 days, Jesus focused on the kingdom of God. And you'll notice, as king, he doesn't tell the disciples to stay in Jerusalem. He actually orders them. For the first time, you hear a language that's a little bit different from Jesus. He literally, as commander-in-chief, he orders them, do not depart from Jerusalem. You are to wait for the promise of the Father, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit. So naturally, during these 40 days, all this talk about kingdom and this new language that Jesus is using, this kingly language, would spark questions in the minds of the disciples about the kingdom. Look at verse 6. They asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And listen to Jesus' response in verse 7. It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you listen to Jesus' response, he doesn't say no to their question about restoring the kingdom of Israel. Instead, what does he do? He says to them, don't worry about when my kingdom will be consummated. For that will be decided by my Father. But rest assured, as I preach to you from the beginning of my ministry, the kingdom of God is at hand. You watched me for three years doing all these signs and wonders. You watch me die and you watch me be raised from the dead. My reign has begun and my reign continues. For Jesus' kingdom, it will not come by force, as you might expect, Jesus says. My kingdom will come through the power of the Holy Spirit working in you and through you and my chosen vehicle, the church. Luke tells us as soon as Jesus gave them their marching orders, what happens? He ascends. He was lifted up in verse 9b, and a cloud took him out of their sight. As Jim had mentioned several weeks ago when he preached this passage Jesus, he had disappeared on many occasions during those 40 days, but then he reappeared. But Luke makes a point to say, this time is different. This time Jesus isn't coming back. Verses 10 and 11. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, 
will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. As I think about the statement that Luke makes, I can't help but think about the um, Elvis Presley. I watched uh, his movie this summer. And Elvis, his fans, after he would finish his songs, they kept like cheering for him and cheering for him and cheering for him and screaming. And, you know, girls were fainting. And the only way they could get the fans to leave the auditorium was to announce that Jesus, I mean, that Elvis, not Jesus, Elvis had left the building, right? Well, in the same way, Jesus has left the building. Jesus has left the earth. And that's what these two men are announcing. He's gone. He's gone into the heavenlies. You can think of it kind of as a portal opening up between heaven and earth. Like the upside down in Stranger Things, except they are lively and brilliant rather than dark and spooky. And Jesus, the King of heaven and earth, he passes through this portal. He ascends Jacob's ladder and he takes his rightful place where? On the throne. He receives the crown, he takes the scepter. And he rules. What is Jesus doing in this very minute? Jesus is our commander in chief. And he's, he's at central command. I think of uh, Dwight D. Eisenhower, the supreme allied commander, running Operation Overlord, the invasion of Normandy. Jesus is like Ike. And yet, he's in heaven, and he's talking with his father, and he's looking at the map, and he's deciding when and how to deploy his angels to fight back the evil that exists, and how to establish his kingdom on earth, not by sword, but by the Spirit's power, love, and a new temple which would supersede Solomon's temple. Jesus is reigning from on high. And then what does he do in verse 12 through 14? Luke tells us that when Jesus ascended, his disciples, they went. And they went to the upper room. And they gathered together. And what did they do? They prayed. They got on their knees and they prayed, waiting for their marching orders. Jesus is seeking to bring shalom. He's seeking to restore things as they were meant to be. Jesus is reigning on high. And as I was thinking the other day, at the end of every year, what I like to do is spend two or three hours just journaling back through the year. And so on Thursday's beautiful afternoon, I was out on my porch, and I just was journaling. And as I was journaling, I'm also, I just turned 56 in November, and Psalm 56 is my psalm for the year. And if you're familiar at all with Psalm 56, it's about David being attacked by his enemies. And let me read a few verses from Psalm 56. It says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long, an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. 
When I'm, when I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. All day long, they endure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife. They lurk. They watch my steps. But you, O Lord, you are my refuge. And as I was thinking about that psalm and I was thinking about the year, I was thinking about how evil during 2022 sought to to destroy me. And evil during 2022 sought to destroy each of you. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware that there are forces that want to take us away from Christ. There are forces that exist that want to destroy our relationship with Him. And as I was pondering those things and looking back over the year, I was thinking about different traumas that I experienced with the death of my dad, the death of my mom, and then I was thinking about childhood trauma and how trauma in our lives seeks to destroy us, seeks to keep us as a victim. And as I was thinking about that, I kept thinking about Acts and hearing Jesus say, I reign. I am reigning on high. I am all-powerful. And I can destroy the very evil that seeks to destroy you. That's a theme of Acts. That's the theme of God's kingdom is that He reigns and He is working on our behalf to build His kingdom. I wonder as you look back over 2022, how has evil sought to take you out? Maybe it's a, a, a sin pattern that you just have struggled with and struggled with and struggled with. And it's taken you away from intimacy with Christ. Maybe it's contemptuous thoughts that you've had that you just can't shake that have sought to keep you down. Maybe it's past trauma and you've lived out of that trauma and as a victim instead of living in victory. Evil has sought to take you out in 2022. But Acts tells us that God reigns. And He is working on our behalf to build His kingdom, to bring wholeness and peace, to bring and cultivate shalom inside of each of you, in me, in us as the church. So as we look at this first 14 verses what we see is that Jesus reigns. And I hope that's important news to you this morning. Jesus reigns. No matter what you face in 2023, Jesus reigns. And He is working on your behalf to bring you to maturity and to build His kingdom. And then the second thing that we see in these first 14 verses, is that we are witnesses to His reign. How is Jesus going to bring about shalom in the church, in our city, in the world? The answer is through you. Each one of you. 
Shalom is not going to happen unless we choose to surrender the Holy Spirit and allow His power to work through us. Look at verse 8. Jesus says to all who are gathered together before He ascended, but you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now we hear those words and it's very familiar to us, but to the disciples that was kind of shocking. Jesus is saying, you're going to be my witnesses, not just here in Jerusalem. I'm going to send you out. Out into the world. To the end of the earth. To do what? To bring about shalom. To bring about His kingship. And Jesus, He had spent three years with the disciples and they had watched Him do incredible miracles. They listened to Him teach about the kingdom of God. They watched Him die and be raised from the dead. And before He ascends, He says to them, I want you to go and tell everyone, everyone you come in contact with, about what you have seen and heard. I want you to testify to the truth of who I am and what I've done. I want you to preach the good news of the gospel. I want you to be my mouthpiece to your neighbors and to the nations. One-third of the book of Acts is speeches. We'll see Peter give long speeches testifying to all he had seen and heard. We'll see Stephen's speech, even as he's being stoned to death, testifying to Christ the King. And we'll read about Saul, who was converted, and and we know him now as Paul. And he goes throughout Asia Minor, Minor to Rome, preaching the good news of the gospel. Men and women use their words to tell of the great acts of Christ. And to call others to repentance and faith in the Messiah. Likewise, we are called through the power of the Holy Spirit to speak of the things of Christ. We're called to tell our neighbors, our coworkers, our classmates, the people we interact at the grocery stores. We're called to tell them about Jesus. Romans ten fourteen through 15, Paul writes this. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. Jesus says, we as followers of the King are called to preach the good news that God's kingdom is at hand. But it doesn't stop there. We don't just use our voices to tell people about Jesus. We also proclaim Jesus through our love for one another and reordering our lives Not according to culture, but according to what His Word teaches us. Being witnesses is not just speaking individually. Being witness is a communal act. And just as the Word became flesh and dwelt among 
asks us, as a community of followers of Christ, we are called to be a living letter testifying to the kingship of Christ. Look at verse 14. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. There is no such thing as a Lone Ranger Christian. One of the things that's most disturbing to me that I see happening through the evangelical church is this whole idea of deconstructing your faith. And part of that deconstruction, unfortunately, is calling people away from the organized church. And so I've got dear friends who've walked with Christ and continue to walk with Christ. They're deconstructing their faith. And it grieves me, and I've talked to them about this. It grieves me because they're not going to church anymore. It's just about their relationship with Jesus and maybe a few people. That is not what God intended. That is not what the book of Acts teaches us. We are going to testify and preach with our words individually, but also corporately, as we love one another, as we are unified together in spite of our differences, as we put aside our political preferences, as we put aside other things and sacrifice for one another. And we're going to be talking a lot about what does it look like for us to be a community, a witnessing community to the world around us as we continue to go through Acts. The call for us is to be us and to be different. Not just for the sake of being different, but because we have Jesus as our king. And he gives us marching orders. We don't listen to ourselves, which is difficult. We don't listen to the world. We follow him. And as we follow him, we will be strange and different. And as we walk through Acts, you're going to see that the world around these folks, they were looked at as strange and different. And guess what happened? They were persecuted. They were murdered. They were laughed at. They were mocked. And guess what? Jesus used that, the persecution, to do what? To scatter them. So what? So that the kingdom might grow. He works through all things, good, bad, whatever comes at us. He reigns, he works, and he's calling us to be witnesses to his reign. I read this chapter to the elders, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And I want, as I read this, count how many times Paul says we. We always thank God for all of you and pray for you constantly as we pray to our God and Father about you. We think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. We know, dear brothers and sisters, that God loves you and has chosen you to be his own people. For when we brought you the good news, it was not only with words, but also with power. For the Holy Spirit gave you full assurance that we said was true. And you know of our concern from from you, the way we lived when we were with you. 
So you received the message with joy from the Holy Spirit in spite of the severe suffering it brought you. In this way, you imitated both us and the Lord. As a result, you have become an example to all the believers in Greece throughout both Macedonia and Achaia. And now the word of the Lord is ringing out from you to people everywhere, even beyond Macedonia and Achaia. For wherever we go, we find people telling us about your faith in God. We don't need to tell them about it. For they keep talking about the wonderful welcome you gave us and how you turned away from idols to serve the living and true God. And they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, whom God raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. How many times did Paul repeat we? Does anybody know? Anybody count? Eleven times. Good job. Eleven times Paul talks about we, the importance of them as believers living in community, demonstrating to those in Thessalonica the truth of the gospel. There is no place for us to be Lone Ranger Christians. Jesus reigns and he calls us to be a witness to that reign, to pronounce the gospel And then to live in community with one another. And as we do this, think about this, as we live as worshiping communities, what happens is a portal opens between heaven and earth. Okay? As we're gathered here right now, there is a portal open between heaven and earth. The Holy Spirit is here. Christ is here. We are there. He is here. It's a mystery. The heavens and earth have come together. That is the kingdom of God. And as we do that, God is glorified. And as we do that, hopefully a watching world will come to faith in Christ. As we move into 2023, will you commit anew to his kingship in your life? Are there things that he's calling you to surrender to? Will you surrender those things to him? Are there areas of your life that he wants to reorder? Will you let him reorder them? And as we move into 2023, will you commit anew to be witnesses? in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, in your classes, in the city and in the world? And will you commit to be a part of this body? And if not this body, another body in, the, in this city. We have many wonderful evangelical gospel communities. Be committed to one of them. It doesn't have to be here. But be committed to one. Are you willing to do that in 2023? to get messy with one another, to love one another, to break bread with one another, to fellowship with one another, to speak truth to one another, to go out together into our community, to serve others. Because by doing this, we will testify that Jesus' kingdom exists here and now. The book of Acts is saying, yes, Jesus has left the building. He's left earth, but there's a portal open. 
He's not here, and he's here. He's here because the Spirit dwells in each of us who profess faith. And when we're gathered together, he is here in an even more special and powerful way. And his work continues. And we're going to see how that work continues as he cultivates shalom in Jerusalem and beyond to the ends of the earth, even in a city called Greensboro, North Carolina. He is building his kingdom. And as we come to this table, he told his disciples when he broke the bread and took the cup, he said, do this in remembrance of me. Every time you gather, take of this bread and this cup. Why? Why was that important? Because he was, again, trying to say, heaven and earth, my kingdom is here. And when we come to this table, the Holy Spirit shows up in a, a mysterious ways, and there's a means of grace that happens here. You're never closer to Jesus than when you partake of this cup and this bread. There's an intimacy that occurs here. And as we do that, coming from different socioeconomic backgrounds, from different towns, from different heritages, there's a unity. There's level ground at this table. And we demonstrate to a watching world that Jesus Christ reigns, that his kingdom has come, and we get to be witnesses to that kingdom. So will you stand with me?